and welcome to Tuesday Talkies, where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, and joining me today are my fellow co-hosts, Sam Tall, Aisha Adamo, Stephanie Carlin, and The Duke. If there's something you'd like to chime in about, let us hear your thoughts in the comments below. Today, we're going to discuss Live Nation's new policies and artist pay cuts, the crossover of gaming and virtual concerts, scientific illuminism and what that means for your creativity, Plus, integrity is the access to fulfill your career goals. So let's get to it. Last week, Rolling Stone reported a memo that Live Nation wants artists to take pay cuts and cancellation burdens for shows in 2021, which naturally created a stir throughout the industry. And even the normally verbose Bob Lefsetz was especially vociferous. The memo showed many of the new policies shifted financial burden to the artists. For example, the company wants to decrease the monetary guarantees promised to artists before the event by 20% across the board. But just yesterday, Polestar spoke with Live Nation's Charles Atal saying artists will be paid the same. Live Nation will always be the artist-friendly company. In the article, he states, the language around cancellations in particular has been excised from all agreements and, quote, in retrospect, should not have been in there. He added, we're not going to jam artists. It doesn't need to be in the deal terms, and hopefully we won't have to deal with it. He continued by saying artists will get paid the same amount as they did in 2019, and the memo was just the beginning of a conversation around booking talent for 2021. One major point to note that was often overlooked in conversation is that the memo is for booking artists at festival only. Sam, this spread through the industry like wildfire and everyone had quite a bit to say. I even noticed that for once you agreed with Bob Lefsetz. What's your take on this? Yeah, so I don't typically uh, side with Bob Lefsetz, but a, a stopped clock is right twice a day. You know, um, I find him to be kind of a you know, angry old man on the hill when it comes to the music industry, but sometimes that guy's got a point. Um, look, I think the thing here from from Charles Atal, uh, who runs C3 under Live Nation, it, it's a it's a a walk back, pretty typical walk back. Like we're open to figuring it out. The, there's a lot to still figure out and 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 discuss and negotiate and blah 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 blah. Yeah, but like the memo sent to talent agencies was like a list of policies, not a list of hey, we're thinking about these things. And if if it's all right with you, I'd like to go point by point on this memo and just kind of give like my immediate thought. Cool. Yeah, yeah, because it, it was interesting when the, the walk back is that, oh, this was a conversation. When you send out a memo like that, that's not a conversation. That's exactly. Apple sending to Merlin saying, here's what you on the independent labels are going to get paid as a percentage. Uh, if you want in, sign the dotted line. If you don't want in, well, there's no negotiation. So I'd like to hear, right. you know, definitely hear your thoughts on the point by point. Artist guarantees adjusted downward 20%. I get it. Maybe there's just not as money on the table. Artist guarantees are great. Obviously, you want the most money up front. But if you're going to sell out, you're still going to get that sellout price. Not a big deal there. Ticket prices are set by the promoter. Fat chance. Ticket prices are you know really expensive because of artist managers like Irving Azoff going to bat for it. Uh, payment terms. Artist receives 10% deposit. Again, fat chance. If you can't guarantee me a substantial amount of that money up front, 
I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to bat away other opportunities. Minimum marketing requirements. Artists will be required to assist in the marketing of the festival through minimum social media posting requirements. That's already exists, but at the same time, it's not strictly enforced. And if that gets strictly enforced, we're going to have to have a real conversation about what it means to be a promoter and whether that actually includes promoting, which is my number one problem with promoters in general. Um, streaming requirements. All artists will be required to allow their performance to be filmed by the festival. Already exists in a lot of cases, but if streaming becomes and 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 left sets notes this in his letter if streaming becomes a made a main mode of consumption for content of this nature people don't go to festivals because they live in other countries it's prohibitively expensive travel is hindered that's going to be a real point of negotiation and whether there's going to be residuals around streaming rights for performances which don't currently exist billing decisions made by the promoter again fat chance uh you know, if I want my client to be the headliner and I won't accept anything less, you better believe I'm going to go to a different festival that's willing to give me that. Um, purchaser retains 30% of all artist merchandise. Not uncommon, especially if they're doing all the sales on site. In some cases, even 60-40, uh, where 40% holds on to the, the festival. I hate it, but it is what it is. Airfare and accommodations to be a responsibility of the artist. Generally, yes, but if you expect that that's not going to be a line item benefit for the artist, well, then expect the fee to go up because we got to pay for that somehow. And that usually comes out of the deposit that you pay in advance of the gig if you don't include it in the uh, offer. Sponsorship, festival controls the sponsorship. That's pretty normal. Radius clause. Here's what kills me about festival radius clauses. And here's what's going to kill this sort of sweeping proposal. Uh, and, and left sets notes this again. And so one of the things that I agree with him most on this whole thing, if you tell me a year in advance that I am locked out of a large geographic radius for a long period of time, and then a month out, the festival cancels because of undersold tickets, and I'm up the creek without a paddle, I now don't, I also don't have a tour that I can do. And understandably, like tour season is typically spring and fall and festival season is typically summer. But let's say your festival is like golf ball and it's beginning of June and you have a 180 day radius clause, as I've seen in some instances for the particular, you know, the particularly large festivals. Well, then we're looking at the entire year you can't play in a given market end to end calendar years locked out. So no spring and no fall touring on that front. That's to me, you know, when you have cancellation terms that, uh, you know, basically over favor the festival when the artist, you know, shoulders that much risk. It's insulting when Live Nation's like, oh, artists should shoulder more financial risk. It's like they already are. Um, it's cancellation due to poor sales. Artists will receive 25% of the guarantee. Okay, I guess. But again, like the tour problem. Um, cancellation by artist. If an artist cancels its performance, the artist will pay the promoter two times the artist's fee. Get lost. Get lost. Absolutely not. Stuff happens all the time. So, you know, if, if it's like a $3 million headline fee, I'm not paying you $6 million because of a death in the family or something. So yeah, that's kind of- there, There's so many points. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a color, I, and I, I'd like to die. I mean, we could go on for a real long time. And I mean, there's I so many parts. Word by word. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there, there were two things that I, I really noticed. And you, you're going back to that radius clause, which is like, you know, you see like, here's the 500 mile radius clause. And especially with DJs like EDM festivals. And that's just trying to, you know, that's just competitive lock, lock trying to lock out for the other festival. But, you know, you, they get paid more. They get paid more for that. You know, some fe festivals are like, all right, we're dropping top dollar on this. But again, th if you're locked out for 180 days, 500 miles, and then some, it's like, and you only can get a percentage if it's canceled at that. So it's, you know, again, you're, 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 you're out of luck. You're shit out of luck. Right. Um, one of the, one of the questions that I had, and this goes back to, uh, the festival organizer they own, they can stream and use your, the recording for all future media. And it seemed like, you know, so if, you know, I was a festival. What it seems to me is that, all right, I'm the festival organizer. I now own all the rights. I can put out a documentary. I can put out uh, just here. Here's the video of everything. I can put on all media platforms, and I own it, and I don't have to pay any royalties for that. Is that is that what that's worded? I mean, it depends on the contract, right, and what the what the release in that term states. And so, if Let's say, for example, we're talking about a major artist and they have a bunch of co-writers on a bunch of songs and there's a bunch of publishers involved. Is the artist then required to attest to the festival that they can clear all the rights for the benefit of the festival? Because I hope not. But that certainly is language that I've seen before that, you know, a party asserts that they can, that they either provide all rights or they will go and secure all rights necessary to enter into that agreement. And that's just not viable if Live Nation is a, is going to be, you know, a concert documentary producer and make, you know, Coachella or whatever the documentary a la Woodstock, you know, 50 years mm -hmm. from now. I don't want to see that happen. I think they're going to have to renegotiate that stuff. And especially if they intend to have artists um, step out from getting compensated for proceeds from those films in the event of that happening, they're gonna to have to have a real conversation about licensing fees and, and artists are gonna, artists, labels, publishers, everybody are gonna look at that as a way to make up that revenue that they previously negotiated out. Yeah, I, I can say from experience when I, when I was uh, uh, doing a festival, I won't name anybody, but uh, it got out that to the booking agent that I was in discussions with a big sponsor that potentially wanted to live stream their headlining set, which would have been fantastic. Now, this was a true, we're just having a conversation about it with the sponsor and started to put together the logistics. Well, it got back to the booking agent and I will tell you one thing, that booking agent left me about five emails of yelling and then voicemails of like, you need to call me right now. I was locked in another meeting. So when I came out after this hour and a half long meeting, my phone was was melted. It was like, I just started calling. And I, they picked up the phone and started yelling at me. They're like, do you know what we have to do for licensing? We're going to, we'll pull the plug. I'm like, we didn't even, we were talking about it. That's why I haven't brought it to you. And this is why, you know, if something was come up, I would bring you the full proposal, not this was a conversation. So things when there's conversations, quote unquote, memos and conversations, it can a lot can be taken out of context and a lot can be blown out of proportion. So thank you, Sam. Uh, you know, we're going to continue on this music festival. Um, we're going to continue on the music festival 
concept because uh, you know you look at these virtual conference uh, concerts, and now uh, you know earlier this year, uh, Loudwire reported that Corn hosted their own virtual conference within the online video game Adventure Quest 3D, and even the frontman Jonathan Davis attended the in-game performance itself. Uh, just the other day, Forbes reported the Rave family is throwing a massive virtual music festival called Electric Blockaloo that will take place June 25th through 28th on Minecraft. The performances will take place across 65 virtual stages, showcasing blocked replicas of iconic venues and festivals such as Red Rocks, The Gorge, Dirty Bird Campout, and more. In addition to the lineup, the event will allow attendees to interact with artists and other attendees play the games and discover prizes. Duke, uh, the gaming community has had its pulse on live streaming for years. Uh, what are your thoughts on virtual festivals within the gaming realm? I think it's fascinating because we live in an online uh, world right now. So you can have millions of people tuned into a game like Fortnite. Right, and you can have your main Fortnite uh, guy, whoever that is, and he really has control of all these different people, and he doesn't have to show up physically in person. So it's actually like you could play a festival in front of a hundred thousand people, or you could play one hour on Fortnite in front of a million people. It's it's better to play on Fortnite than it is to play in front of the people. You know what I mean? So uh, it's definitely something to think about, and also just to think about. Um, I remember Second Life. If you remember Second Life, it was about a decade ago when Avatar came mm -hmm. out. Yeah. People started playing their shows there. And then also just kind of jumping back, if you remember um, the Commodore 64, and if you remember uh, the Nintendo, which was 8-bit, and how far we've come from that. Now on Facebook, you post your picture, you can switch it to 3D, right? So I think in about 20 years, I think the YouTuber will probably be more of the influencer performer um, than, than the actual performer that we live in now uh, in the physical realm. I think the digital realm will become equal to the physical realm, you know? Yeah, and it's really interesting to see the evolution. And you mentioned the Commodore 64, and I, I was in the storage, and I actually just uh, came across my old Commodore 64 along with a TRS-80 with uh, 4K of RAM and a cassette deck. But uh, you know, it's really interesting that you know the the fact of where the gamers are and live streaming with gamers. I mean, this whole that whole gaming community, and you know, they're they're talking about gaming computers and how they're if you go to youtube and just like look up gaming uh live gaming and live streaming and how setups their setups are crazy they're massive they are they have their own world of like and who are the top gamers who are the people watching to watch play video games and the fact that you can go into a place that has already people that are used to gaming music and gaming has always gone hand in hand uh like you know gta and everything so you it's like such a great merge of saying you can reach more people and that that's a big point that you know that i agree with you on that it's like how much how you can reach more people with your music in that sense yeah i mean it's you know you got to have a vision of the future if you want to be there but the person that's really good like we're talking to the camera now like hi how you doing that person will be the performer of tomorrow and they'll just do it on the computer screen versus in the you know third dimension and then we'll uh, do the hologram. Well, holograms are already here. I, you know, an interesting area to watch is uh, Korea, K-pop. They have been 
always ahead of the curve when it comes to video and getting these all together. So thanks, thanks, Duke. You know, this, it's something that is really interesting, intriguing, and I look forward to more of it. I want to, I want to see, see like the real bands being able to when we get even those speeds where you don't have. Uh, you know, the delays where you can actually have the bands recording and performing live from different locations into uh, the stream. So, you know, that's, that's great stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Um, let's head up. Let's, we're going to change topics here, uh, change directions. And, you know, this is something that's really interesting. And, you know, we, we call the, the alchemist here, uh, you know, the topic is like scientific illuminate scientific illuminism is the process of treating your meditative and spiritual practices as opportunities to collect data recording the experiences each time finding patterns and getting clear on the best uses of your spiritual tools to help us gain an understanding of this practice is aisha adamo Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. Before I get into the big scientific illuminism thing, I do want to say that today is a big day for New York because it is election day. So if you haven't gone out to vote yet, get out there and do it. Get your mask on, get your voting gone. Um, you know, and it's also a big deal this year for women who just got the right to vote 100 years ago. Um, the 19th Amendment was passed in 1919 and ratified uh, a little bit over a year later in all the states. So it's a big year. If you're not out there voting, if you're tweeting instead of voting, what are you doing, girl? Get on it. Um, that all being said, um, talking about other things, logic and reason, not the music programs today, but scientific illuminism. Here's what's up. It's this process of taking the scientific method and applying it to your spiritual practice and even your creative work, because I feel like those two things really go hand in hand for a lot of creatives. What you can do is really set up a journal dedicated to it. And every time you do your daydreaming, your meditation, your yoga, whatever the practice is, you record the time of day, you record things about the location. It's like a chance to record this data and look back on this data later. So you wanna collect as much as you can. Now, starting out, it's just getting in the habit of doing it. But as you progress with it, you know, you write down those interfering thoughts you have about that thing that set you off on Twitter or anything that's interrupting you in your creative process that's getting you away from your integrity with what you wanna do. Write all those things down and then you have a chance each month, each year, whenever you feel like it, to go back and look at what's working and what's not working. Maybe it reveals something about your environment that could be adjusted to, so that you have a better creative practice and a better spiritual practice and a better chance to get to know yourself on this journey. All of these things can be really helpful if we use that data to make our practice even stronger. And yeah, I mean, that's basically how it works. Um, there's a lot more I could say about it, and I probably will, because I think this is going to be a theme with the type of things I want to present in the future. But this is a great way to begin keeping integrity about your inner journey and your creative journey. So it's worth checking out and starting to get some work done on it. I, I like it, and, and the the point of where you you're talking about like the collecting data, and it's like keeping track. Is it's almost like when you say like keeping that they say to keep that daily diary, but maybe also it's like 
jotting down is like, hey, that negative thought that was blocking me, why don't I write that down and then like cross that out to say, hey, anytime that thought comes up, I'm actually visualizing crossing that out and just negating it and moving on. Right. That's a great way to get past that. Or like, say you've like got a focus meditation. Um, so you've decided to meditate on um, a simple shape, keeping your mind focused on a simple shape, like a red triangle. And every time you try to focus, you have this memory of maybe it's your mom saying, oh, you know, what, are you going to get a real job or something like that? Um, knowing that you have that thought a lot and seeing it on paper and tracking how many times you've had it is really beneficial to say, okay, that's really a thing. And I really need to focus on that to put that one aside. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of like your eating habits, you know, it's like, okay, I did my food diary for the week and I'm like, I had M&Ms seven times this week. So I should probably stop doing that. <laughs> so I should stop having these negative thoughts. You know, you one, one really you can afford a few M&Ms. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, let yourself have some M&Ms. It's a tough time. All right. I have to dig down here. Um, what, th thank you so much. There, there's one thing that you, you mentioned a few times in there and it leads really well into this. And, and that was about integrity. And I know Stephanie's here and Stan, you know, we talk about like integrity is the access to fulfilling your goals, but it will never work if your goals are inauthentic. So here to talk about the unconscious obligations we have to inauthentic visions and why they grind us to a halt is Stephanie Carlin. Hi guys. So we are about to enter Q3. Mercury is in retrograde. So whatever astro corporate woo woo modality you subscribe to, this is really the perfect time to do goal reviews. And we're going to take what Aisha said and make it a little more granular in your life. Um, because what about when your goals just repeatedly aren't working? If you're interested in doing the deep work of having your art, your business, your creativity as a spiritual practice, at some point or another, you will be forced to look for the roots of your obligations. Your obligations are what keep you hustling with the shit that does not inspire you. And they keep you on a constant grind of untruth. And there are four tethers that tie you to these inauthentic obligations. So take notes and do an assessment with me. I want you to think about one thing that's just really pissing you off that you have, you have not accomplished yet. And it's a really big goal or a big dream. Which one of these tethers is keeping you from it? Number one, parental obligation. Aisha mentioned this, the, the, the idea that this is what my parents want for me. However, being more successful than our parents, well, our subconscious can register this as a betrayal to our genetics. Do you let yourself have more than your mother? Do you let yourself have more than your father? Number two, obligations to success. The idea that there's only one way of having success. Do you have a role model who showed you like this is the only way Having role models like this kept me in a grind as a concert producer, and I could never allow wealth in until I realized that I was taught this by my mentor. Number three, indecision. We use not knowing because ultimately we might be a little scared of the responsibility that it comes with to know. So you have to start taking action by listening to those little whispers. And this is actually how you drive blocks up so that you can then clear them. Number four. Are you obligated to our permission-based culture? 
the idea that you need someone's permission to do what you want could be an authority figure, an institution, a university, a certification, could be God, could be what your ancestors believed. If we don't give our brain a specific vision with focus, with clarity, we tend to create drama or any old thing to entertain us. And we'll fall back on these default obligations. So whether you're sitting with Q3 benchmarks or reflecting on this Mercury retrograde cycle, I ask you to give permission to your daydreams. Daydreaming is the most important indulgence to creating a vision. Do you allow yourself to daydream? Some of us were allowed to use our imagination as children and some of us were not. This is about desire. This is related to the sexual chakra with the center of our desire and channeling truth through your crown chakra to speak a vision through your throat chakra and visualize the future from your third eye to create wealth, abundance, and stability in that base chakra that leads to a better world for all the universal love vibration through our heart chakra. So vision is not just about thinking about something. I'm talking about getting out of your thoughts and imagining with your senses. Can you place yourself inside your vision? Because you can only imagine something so much greater than you ever thought possible inside of your daydream. That's where it starts. And when you speak this, you create personal integrity that's rooted in truth. And it just stops feeling so hard. So that's what I want to offer you at the beginning of this Q3. I, I love it. The, 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 exciting, it, the excitement and, and the passion, uh, you're talking about the chakras and everything. You know, uh, there was a company that's like integrity uh and results it was uh that, that was like their some some like their tagline and it was like you know they they truly that's how they define their culture the the business culture was all about integrity so everybody was to present themselves with integrity whether it was at the company outside the company and it was more not saying like this is how you have to reflect the companies but how you should reflect yourself and that's carried through a world, a worldwide company. So it was really interesting to see how being able to just address and look, you know, look at yourself and carry yourself with integrity opens so many doors. So that's it for today. Thank you all for tuning in. If you want to chat with our host, stick around for the after show conversation. And if you find this interesting, please hit that subscribe button and ring the notification bell to be alerted about new shows. You can also find us at musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. Thank you again to our hosts, Sam, Aisha, Stephanie, and the Duke. Have a wonderful day and see you next time.